DSC is a team of 33 people across Australia, all working together to bring specialised training and consulting expertise to providers in the disability sector. All right, here's what's going to happen now. Hello and welcome to our podcast. We are DSC. Your turn, you're the boss. Disability Disability done done different, different. candid conversations. Hope you're ready because we're starting. Welcome to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations 2021. Welcome, Maya. Thank you. <laughs> That's Maya Thomas, our podcast producer, very shyly greeting. And I'm Evie Norvell, the co-host of Disability Done Different Candid Conversations. And we've got a big year. Yeah, before we get into the interview today, we want to have a chat about what we've got planned for this year. It's something a little bit different. So we're heading into season three of Disability Done Different Candid Conversations And in addition to the format of long interviews that you know and love by now, we've got a few more things up our sleeve this year. And we've got some great interviews just before we move off Candid Conversations. We've got some really good ideas about people we're going to bring to you. But Evie also wants us to talk about BCI, BCI, Business Case Investigations. Maya, how many of those have we got ready to go? We've got three in the can. Three episodes ready to go, which is where we look at the potential future of the disability sector, organisations that seem to be charting a new path. And Sally Connington and I interview them with a cheesy sort of private eye um, format, seeing if it's possible for them to make money. And the business case is we're investigating, can they make money doing really positive things and setting new directions in the disability sector. So three apps of that ready to go with myself and Sally, Sally Coddington, Coddington, who's making her big break into podcasting this year, not only with BCI, but also Love At. Maya, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so Love At, Love at the Frontline is Sally's passion project for this year. Um, she's already spoken to many people um, around the issue of bringing love to frontline work and what that means and the definition of that. So um, it's going to be pretty darn good, I think. We've spoken to so many interesting people. So, yeah, we're excited to get that one out this year. And that's been under development since towards the end of the Vietnam War, hasn't it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a slow burner. It's not about (laughs) the speed. It's about the quality. Exactly. If you're subscribed to the podcast in a podcast app or on our website, then you'll already be ready to hear about these. So we're expecting those to come out in the next few months. So you'll get a bit of variety. It won't just be me and dad having these long chats, although don't worry, there'll be plenty of that. There'll be some business case investigations episodes spliced in there as well as some love at. Plus EV secret project. EV secret project, which is not that secret since you gave the secret away last year, but... Alas. But today we're talking to David Millets, um, CEO of Carers South Australia, an all-round good guy. I listened to the um, conversation today and, and David helps me meet my ambition of having a conversation with someone that I really want to have a conversation with. This, you know, I think I'd like to be friends with David. Maybe I am friends with David. But he's a good guy. He's authentic. He talks about the problems of working in um, the carers organisation, some really good insights into the NDIS and some really good insights into the problematic nature of care politics mm-hmm. and we recorded this episode towards the end of last year it was i think in the week that uh we were coming out of lockdown in melbourne so so that's just some context dad thanks <laughs> okay <laughs> so let's get into it welcome to disability done different candid conversations hi evie Hi, Dad. We're in the same room again. Yeah, it's been a while. 
And welcome, David Millett, CEO of Carers South Australia. Thanks for having me, Roland and Evie. It's great to, great to be on your podcast. We've got very fond memories of you for some reason, David. We met back in 2015 um, and Evie had only just started, I think, pretty much yeah. in those days mm -hmm. as well. And we came over to South Australia to, I don't even remember what we were doing. Do you have any memories, David? Yeah, look, we, we um, you've been doing some work around, um, or, or DSC had been working around the uh, around in some of the states in, in Australia. We'd, we'd been watching from afar, and we actually did a <clears throat> we were doing a um, an event where we wanted to pull apart the NDIS for carers um, and just start to understand what it meant for unpaid family carers, but also for us as an organisation in SA. And, and I remember we uh, invited you to come over and be our keynote speaker, um, and, and from that. Yeah, we had a, a, a really, really good connection for the next couple of years where we tried to, you know, you helped, we helped you and uh, coming to SA and you helped us by, by giving us lots of knowledge. So it was a, yeah, it was a really good time. We had a lot of time for you, um, particularly David, you really stood out in the networks we were working in. And at that stage, you were managing community <laughs> services for Carer South Australia. And we, we knew you were going on to greater things. I think at one stage, we tried to get you to work for us. <laughs> I, do, I do remember right. i do remember yeah. that conversation yeah um but you ended up being ceo of carers um south australia which has been great for them the question i wanted to ask yeah. amongst other questions in in that is when back in 2015 when we were talking about the ndis we had to say to people well you know they don't really give a toss about you carers because the scheme is for participants and the best mm. example of that was we don't do respite, which is what the NDIA stupidly announced in its early days, because respite is for carers and our scheme is for participants. And thankfully, over the intervening five years, the agencies got a lot smarter and realised that um, carers and participants are, are very intertwined. Their interests are very intertwined and so are the interests of the scheme. But have you seen a significant shift in carers be getting more of a focus from the scheme or are they still pretty much the outsiders bolt-ons poor second cousin we have seen a slight shift look it's it's not um it hasn't been seismic and, and i don't think it, it don't think it's still um but you know pulls out those initial statements that that, that came early on um, when the scheme was was being introduced, that you know this is going to um, this is going to change the world for uh, unpaid carers, and they're going to be able to go back to work, and they're going to have heaps more time, and um, there's going to be a lot less stress. Um, I think there's that that hasn't. I don't think that's eventuated um, anywhere near like they thought it was going to. Um, look, there are. We definitely have small pockets of of carers telling us that, that that's the case, and it's been fantastic for them. But there's still, I think there's still a long way to go. We've just we've actually just spoken across the country, um, uh, and Carers New South Wales led the work on behalf of the, the National Network of Care Associations, but we, we interviewed or, or surveyed, sorry, um, I think it's just over 7,700 um, carers across the country. And, and, and of that in SA, we had um, well, the exact numbers, 2,255 um, carers in SA answered the whole heap of questions, but there was some really interesting stuff that came out around the NDIS um, that, uh, Quite, quite good that you know half a you know almost half a carers that we surveyed in South Australia saying it you know it the the, the scheme meets the, the the person they're caring for the person with a disability uh, meets their needs which is great but worryingly that's still only fifty percent or fifty one percent so it's still it's good but it's not great um, and. 
But when we start talking about, um, you know, other carers asked about their needs and consulted in the process, you know, nearly 50% are saying no. Um, when, when we're starting to talk about, does it, you know, does it, and it should look, we've got to be, got to be open about it. The, the scheme isn't for carers, so it shouldn't meet the carers' needs, but they're, they're, they're a big part of um, what's happening. So, but, but over, you know, nearly 44% of carers are saying, you know, said that the, the scheme didn't meet their needs. Um, and, and knowing carers, that's generally what that means is, is that meeting the person I'm caring for needs because carers don't often think about themselves. So, um, so look, there's been, there's been movement um, and, and look, some positive movement, but I reckon there's still a long way to go. And, you know, carers are saying it's, you know, nearly 50% of carers are saying it's not easy to organise um, and, and manage or get through into the, into the scheme. So, um, yeah, so some movement. Roland, but yeah, there's a bit of, I still think there's a long way to go. I want to jump in on that figure of 50% of people saying that the NDIS is not meeting their needs. That's substantially lower than the satisfaction figures that would be coming out in a publication um, from the NDIS. I'm not sure exactly what my question is and without wanting you to speculate on the value, on the merit of the data that the NDIS presents, but why do you think there's such a massive discrepancy? You haven't got a small sample size, nearly 3,000 people saying the NDIS is not meeting the needs of the participant they support. Is it a difference of perspective, a difference of sample size? What do you reckon? Oh, look, I think the, um, the, the info where I've seen it anyway, and this was some time ago, so it may have changed, but, but I think the, the, the data um, that, that comes from the agency is, um, is data that comes really early on in, in, in people's engagement. Um, so we see the same with the, the Care Gateway, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but um, you know, that, that's high, like that's 90, you know, it's in the 90%. Uh, and that might be after you've had your first conversation. So I, I suspect that that happens really early, that satisfaction um, rating is taken. Uh, and look, my assumption is um, that the carers we're talking to have been surveyed, have been, you know, been managing what some people call a bit, this beast um, for a lot longer than just the, you know, the first initial uh, couple of meetings. So, um, so that, that's where I'd, I'd imagine the, the, the difference is. It's a good point. And there's something actually really interesting in that, which is that it might be really positive that the longer the people are in the scheme, <clears> the more dissatisfied they are, because it could be partly pointing to the fact that people feel they're raising their standards, that they feel more empowered to say when things are not okay. I mean, there's obviously, it's not great. They're experiencing a bad thing, but you could look at that and say, well, it's good that people are recognizing that that's not meeting their needs. I've never really thought about it before, but it's saying the front end of the process tends to have a more positive response, which is not great for the independent assessment trials too, because they're claiming really high response rates too. I won't ask you to comment on that, David. I know it's out of your bellywick, but... <laughs> It's interesting in that independent assessment um, genre as, as well. No, I was just going to say the independent assessment stuff is we've had a no different uh, the reaction from from carers and everybody around the country. Um, really strong and visceral reaction to that, um, which which I think is um, they're actually going to make a move and pilot it in a few little places instead of doing what they initially thought. So, um, you know, so, so I get the sense they're listening a bit more um, that the agency, which is you know, which which can only be a good thing. Yeah, I hope you're right. Yeah, so. David, I've been around long enough and old enough to have been around when the term carer was really starting to first be coined, which is like a long time ago. And it's always struck me as a political construct. People 
don't think of themselves as carers. They think of themselves as a father, a daughter, a mother, a neighbour. Um, that label doesn't... It's something that government puts on you when you get a carer's pension and you stick your hand up for carer support and carer this and carer that. But in some ways, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's just a construct. And wh- where do you sit on the, the word? Yeah, look, it's, it's, you're right. The, um, people don't think of themselves as, as carers. It's a really difficult concept for people to understand, especially if they're caring for um, a family member. Um, so a husband or you know, husband caring for their wife or vice versa, or you're caring for your child. So it, it is something that is, it's difficult, to, it's difficult to comprehend. It also creates a whole heap of other issues about, you know, we talk about unpaid, often talk about unpaid family carers. Um, because if you talk about a carer, people think the support worker or paid carer, or so. So there is some complexity around it. Um, listen, I, I know that the the movement in SA started in 1990. Um, that uh, you know, grassroots movement to try and talk about carers uh, and talk about the challenges they're facing. So look, I, listen, it, it's got a. It's look. I wasn't around when it when it was coined, but look, the the language it does make it difficult for us because we've then got to, we've got to differentiate between uh, what a care is. And we spend a lot of time trying to do that. So listen, yeah, I, I don't have a, I don't have a better, um, better example of it. Um, I, I want to jump and, in David, because I, my memories are flooding back now of when we did meet yeah. back in 2015, I think you were driving us around and it, 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 I was sitting in the back of the car or someone was in the back of the car. But anyway, we were having this discussion and I was talking about my dad and my dad was Lebanese and because he was Lebanese, he got, you know, he was part of the Department of Ethnic Affairs when they were talking about stuff that was relevant to him. And it seemed to me that carers is much the same thing. You talk about carers of people with disability, young carers who are caring for their parents, older carers who are caring for their um, younger people, carers who are caring for their partners. The stuff they've got in common is sweet FA a lot of the time, isn't it? <laughs> Look, I think they do with with regards to the situation. I think one of the the things is that there's such a diversity of people that um, that that organisations like us try to support. Um, the one thing that they the, the couple of things that they have in common um, is so the the relationships may not be, um, but the impact on the impact of the role that they're playing, um, uh, or the impact of the caring role on their relationships. Uh, whether that be family or outside, uh, and their social interaction and their well-being, um, are the are the big things, are the big connecting point between all of those. And we've been having this conversation recently about, you know, tr- trying to nail down in business speak what what our segmentation of our customer base is, and it's bloody yeah, difficult. Yeah. So mm. yeah, so that so that connection, that that connection between all those different people, uh, you know, different lives, and whether they be in Aboriginal communities or culturally diverse communities, is really about the stress and strain that the caring role has on them, and that's similar, um, even though the situations may be very different. Mm. When you, what you're talking about is making me think of some of the people I know who have um, young kids with disability, and thinking about at what point in their child's life will they start to identify, you know, more primarily as a carer as opposed to a mother. And what that's making me wonder is, do you ever hear from people with disability about how that feels to have their parent or sister start to identify more primarily as a carer? Yes, look, we do, and there's there's plenty of people, and it's not just in um, people with disability. Um, we often we'll hear it across all, like frail aged um, people with mental illness. 
um, that we hear that people hate the the term carer um, and, and as in the person who's been cared for um, that that concept of being cared for I think is is can be quite challenging and can be quite um, it can impact people pretty strongly so we you know we go so far as to to some uh, carers that we provide information to we, you know we've got pretty strict instructions that we don't put any labels on the you know we don't put any labels on envelopes we don't um, send stuff to them at uh, you know which openly says that they are care of the person they're caring for because if that person the person being careful opens that letter up uh, and sees that they go well, you know you're not caring for me I don't need that and so there's a, some real challenges around that um, and, and I know and look, I don't have a background in the disability sector, but I know in particular early on the challenges around where carers were situated within the scheme or recognising the scheme was a big factor of that, you know, we don't, you know, lots of people involved in that. We don't need carers. We don't recognise that, um, that informal support that people talk about. So this may, and we may choose... We may choose to cut this bit out, I suspect, at the end, <laughs> the next bit I'm about to talk about. But when I was involved in care organisations um, a couple of decades ago, a lot of the response to them was free massages and free spa week, you know, spas and massages and pampering <clears throat> and all that sort of stuff. And it seemed to me, you know, that's wonderful. That's an acknowledgement. That's really important. But fuck, it misses the point. Um, um. <laughs> Do you want to respond to that, or should we just cut it out? No, no. Look, no. I'm happy to happy to respond to that because I think it, it goes some way to 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 talking about the um, government's response and, and restructuring of the of the the support that carers get um, from federal funding. So um, <clears throat> there there are some, there are some there are things that that happened in the past for uh, in federally funded and state funded support services for carers that just don't exist anymore. Um, and, and some of it is that, um, you know, that's what, what government would call fluffy, you know, feel good stuff. That's um, what, what they want to see is more evidence-based, um, you know, positive things that are actually um, educating carers and, and, and making them, uh, making them move along in their journey of a caring role and equip them better to actually do what they do. Um, <clears throat> so there's really two schools. That, so that's really interesting. The, the really interesting thing coming from carers. So that's the way the model, the new model has gone, the carer gateway. Carers think totally differently. Uh, it's fascinating yep. to listen. Carers need, so the biggest thing carers talk to us about is, is getting a break, um, looking after themselves, which they don't do, um, you know, feed, feeding being that relationship yeah. and, and being, so, so that, um, you know, whilst we talk about, you know, pamper days and they, they used to, they used to do fantastic things. What that actually does is, is, um, or re-energize carers and give them a break and gets them to go back into what, you know, carers that we don't talk about like this a lot, but some carers talk about as the battleground, like it's really challenging going back into my caring role. So um, getting a break and getting a time to focus on me is just brilliant. I'm energized now, I'll go back into my, my caring role and, and, and put my head down and, and bum up and get going. So thanks for telling me to pull my head in on that one, David. It, it, and I do, I hear what you're saying, but and not but and I agree and I think what I was talking about was when that was all the offer was the pampering and now you're saying evidence-based plus yeah and, and I think it's what we're talking to government now um, and, and DSS about is you've now missed that stuff out 
uh, and what you've got is a is you know a re like it's a reasonable evidence based model which is great but you're missing some of the stuff which really gives some benefit um, which could complement that really well and could make those other things actually have better impact. My question is why doesn't the evidence support self care? <laughs> <clears throat> oh look, it's the the one of the things that um, uh, in the care space the data and evidence across. Um, that well-being space and about impact of of services on well-being is pretty crap uh, across mm. across uh, even internationally. So when government build things, they like it to be evidence based and they like to have that there. Um, there just wasn't the evidence. Plus, if you're talking about something like a retreat, um, which is where carers either go on their own or with a group of carers to do some psychoeducational stuff, um, government consider that a holiday. So. It's not a holiday, and we argue, you know, to the cows come home until I'm blue in the face to to say that it's not. Um, but they, but there's the there's no evidence, no formal evidence sitting behind it to to tell them it's not. David, I want to loop back to our earlier discussion when we were talking about carer as an identity, and for a lot of people, when um, someone has a significant issue that they're dealing with that they're trying to avoid the word caring for or supporting the person um, yep. in that carer role and they get that carer <clears throat> label their world can become pretty small um, it's difficult to socialize it's difficult to get out it's difficult to be in a bigger world and that's what you you've just been talking about mm. sometimes when that carer in role ends abruptly the person dies and their whole world has become very small and their whole world has become identified with caring sure. for that person it can be very freaking difficult, can't it? It's one of the biggest challenges. I think, you know, everybody, well, everybody in the sector, not everybody, um, understands that the benefit and value of social connection. I mean, you guys, you guys have been, you know, managing through that in Victoria recently. Like that yeah, social yeah. connection is just, you know, one of the biggest determinants for happiness and length of life. A whole range of evidence has been done around that. Um, so when, when you say, um, you know, carers are telling us, like in this latest survey, that impact on on relationships, like ninety, you know, ninety percent are telling us it's a, it's a negative with family, friends, and and partners. Ninety um, percent of those carers are telling it's negative for themselves. Um, so <clears throat> there's very few people that are saying it's positive for them. And when that ends, so when your life becomes so narrow, and you're spot on, when things end, how do you how do you restart your life? Uh, and you know, carers often give up work, uh, do a range of things. That, you know, to, it's a massive, massive thing to try and re, refine, almost find yourself again. Um, you know, it's, and it's, I guess you can equate it to lots of um, relationships which are either um, damaging or, um, <clears throat> you know, in sense are not healthy. When you get consumed by that, and when it stops, it's hard to find yourself. Um, and, and I think carers for it's a really difficult thing for um for, for carers to do um plus they're also going through grief and loss and all those sort of things and then you've got to find yourself again and, and work out what to do bloody hard and can we counterpoint that because we all work in fields with people that are undergoing some very very significant challenges and i i found myself wondering how people cope but i look around and i see people coping and it really strikes me to the resilience of human beings. And, and given the field you're in and the people you're working with, can you, and given we're just coming out of COVID in Victoria, COVID lockdown in Victoria, can you talk to us about resilience and what you've learned? 
Oh, the, for, for some of the conversations I've had with, um, with people who are in caring roles, to understand or try and work out how they're still functioning um, and still going, I find it amazing that the resilience for those people, some, sometimes, it's, um, uh, sometimes it's, it's love for the person um, that they're caring for that gets them through, uh, some, but they sacrifice a hell of a lot like ridiculous amounts that they sacrifice um, to, to do. And, and, and it blows me away about the, the level of um, challenge or difficulty that, that humans can face and, and still yeah, survive. It's phenomenal. It, it, look, it's amazing. And, and carers, you know, they don't think about themselves. So, you know, that's the, the last, <laughs> that's the last thing in their mind. So that there are, so some people are born for it, like literally have, you know, I don't never think about myself. I'm always everyone else first. And those people are, you know, sometimes love caring. Um, but, you know, but there's plenty that find it a real struggle. So it's, yeah, it's a resilience is amazing. And, and you yeah, considering the stats we see from what carers tell us, the fact they're still going and still supporting community um, by what they do is, is amazing. There have been a lot of changes, haven't there, David, to the national approach to supporting carers since you took up the role only um, three or four years ago. Can you talk us through some of the big changes? I know you mentioned the Carer Gateway a second ago without getting into too much of the detail. I just yeah, also yeah. just want to comment too because I remember um, talking to you just as you'd taken on the CEO role and it was like a, holy shit, that's my language conversation where you're saying, this, yeah. whoa, you know, this stuff's about to happen. Tell us what happened. The, the biggest change I've been involved in, I was, you know, worked in the homelessness sector for 13 years and um, in youth and families and, and aged care a little bit. But this, this was massive. Um, it turned the world on its head. So a four-year consultation process, co-design process with government, which in itself was, you know, unbelievable, the fact that they took four years to do something. It, that just doesn't happen. Um, so it was a, it was a good co-design process. But basically, government, the, the premise is that, you know, carers were going to four, three, sometimes four organisations to get all of the services that they need, which is just damn difficult and, and too hard. So I, I, I and the sector were really supportive of a one entry point. Of course, government called it a gateway, which, you know, everything's a gateway at the moment, but that's, yeah. that's, that's, a, different, that's a different point. There's a disability gateway coming. So, you know, they're, they're, they're still not, it's still not out of being fad status. Um, the, but they basically, um, you know, governments won't say this, but at the back end, they were looking to save some costs. Uh, and that's, to be honest, they went from 85 contracts or 86 contracts around the country down to 16. Um, so it was massive. Our, our organisation's, you know, livelihood was on the line. We're unfortunately 100% government funded. So if we didn't get the grant, we would have been dead. Um, so it was a big, it was a massive thing. Um, so that's for us as an organisation, but it was massive for carers um, because they just happened to plan to launch it right on April 6th, which was right in the middle of the first wave mm -hmm. of um, COVID. So it was full on. And how's it gone? Look, I think okay, um, and I and I say that with a bit of doubt in my voice because um, if you'd told me um, last year that we would have faced sort of as an organisation not existing, um, we would have had to restructure and and sixty percent of our staff 
turned over. We had a basically a new organization in January. Um, we're ready to launch a new program in April. And then we had to send everyone home and lock down. And, and how would we still support carers in that environment? Um, <clears throat> and that we still are supporting carers um, now and doing sometimes doing that really well and sometimes not doing that so well. Um, if you'd told me we got to here, I, I would have just taken it. So <clears throat> look, we're going okay. I think what we're finding is that this, this new model um, it's brand new. It's changed a lot. Carers are grieving like hell um, what, are, what they had before and what they don't have now. So we're getting that really loudly and clearly. Um, mm -hmm. And we're only six months into a, into a model. Two of those months were a transition period. Um, so four months in a COVID environment. And we really truly don't know. It's a demand-driven model as well. So it's, you know, we've got a bucket of money in seven services and we can use that money how we like. Um, so that's new. For government um so and new for us so it, we're still really early early days a lot of learning to go in a five-year contract i reckon by the fifth year we might start getting a handle on it so it, it's yeah it's it's been a difficult process but but a very interesting one as you speak you you remind me of we, we spoke briefly before about the small world that um caring forces upon a person <clears throat> and then COVID's very much a small world phenomenon so can you talk a little bit about those two small worlds colliding? Yeah, the, the fascinating thing is we um, <clears throat> government reacted, both our state government in SA and, and, the, and the feds reacted pretty well with regards to giving us some flexibility. Um, and so we, we did lots of phone calls to carers. In fact, I think we did over four and a half thousand phone calls <clears throat> during a period to check on people's wellbeing because we couldn't go face to face. Um, Really interesting comments that came through were carers saying, welcome to my world. I, mm. I, I am isolated every day. Um, I, my role and what I do um, <clears throat> keeps me at home. I don't get out much. I can't socialise. I've lost my connections. Um, and they were looking around and hearing everyone else in the community complaining um, and, you know, sometimes rightly, um, but then going, look, now you've got a sense of what I do every day. Um, and it's not easy, is it? Um, so <clears throat> that, that was a, for me, that was one of the most fascinating comments that came back from carers. Um, so it, it's fascinating. Um, been really fascinating about what carers have um, said. Yeah, it's been um, interesting to observe in Victoria, the different, um, community attitudes towards, uh, yeah. people with disability or households where there are people with, um, increased vulnerability to COVID that in the early days, you know, everyone was like, how can I help? Can I go do the supermarket shopping for you? And I remember listening to this podcast where a mother of a child with an immune disorder was saying, you know, it was really nice that everyone was reaching out, but she was kind of like, where the hell were you before? This has always been our life and always been our vulnerability. And it's been interesting over the last six months to slowly watch that goodwill kind of erode to get to the point where now you have people at the opposite side going, this lockdown is ridiculous. Why should I have to continue to sacrifice for people who are vulnerable? And it's not, it's not a question, but it's just been really interesting no. to watch that <clears throat> slide happening. Oh, look, I, I think and getting bigger than just <laughs> the, the, what we're talking about. I think what you, what you raise is the, uh, um, I've been watching with, with fascination about people's, um, the, the the split between the, the what value we put on human life and and th those aged people who are frail or vulnerable um you know some, whether they be young or old they're, they're vulnerable what value we put on those people and, and when it starts to affect individuals 
how quickly it becomes about me and not about the you know the the, the bigger the greater good that you know it's echoed in in the economic versus health arguments um but really really interesting to see that that come out um yeah, yeah really interesting so david we've only got two more questions one's a big picture ndis and one's just a, a personal one yep what, what <clears throat> needs to, what needs to improve for carers in the ndis I think, um, and, and I can probably equate this to um, across government systems, so with state government, like health, mental health, aged care, and the, and the lovely uh, and the lovely Department of Centrelink, a lot of which sits, you know, um, Department of Social Services and Department of Health federally. Uh, I think it's just a joining up of systems, and, and we're saying this a bit uh, until I'm blue in the face, and they're listening, actually, the, the, to DSS. Uh, in that those at a systemic level, like a higher level, um, those systems need to be joined up. So, so identification of a carer within the NDIS or with an aged care assessment or wherever it might be, there needs to be that, that joined up, oh, we found you. Have you heard about the supports you can get? It's really quite, you know, I like to think of a far more simplistic you know, it's just than just handing someone a, a fire information. It's like, oh, have you heard about these services? Because the majority of people won't have heard about what they can get support for as a, a you know, as an unpaid family carer. So, um, so I think for me, that's the that's the biggest thing um, <clears throat> is about that joining up and that connection of, of people through systems. Uh, and then the other one is just being listened to. Um, so being being given some uh, recognition that uh, yes we see you as well uh, we're here for and be honest we're here for the person with disability as you should be because that's what the system's about the scheme's about but but we see you and we recognize you and in that sense we're gonna you know do you know about this and, and these are some people who are focused just on you not on the family um so so i think that that would that would be ideal i think you know we've been pushing for that for a while and, and that'll continue to be my hobby horse i think for as long as i'm in the job i think so i was going to do one more reminiscence which goes back to 2015 and this is more for evie's sake but you you probably remember it too but i remember talking to the audience now we we did a talk to um whatever group of carers were in the audience and there's one woman that was slightly slightly difficult she was a carer that seemed to know a fair bit and she was asking a lot of different difficult questions do you remember who it was evie no (laughs) we still have a close relationship with them we do have a very close relationship yeah yeah started developing it from that moment so i'd forgotten about that but i want to end on a personal question for you david which is when we met you i I was saying to evie I considered you as a policy wonk. I actually think that's a compliment she thought it might be a bit of an insult, but you knew your stuff in the policy space. You were running the community services. Um, difficult enough job, but in a sense, all care, no responsibility. You had a CEO above you. You've yep. now, you moved into the CEO role, and I reckon CEO care organisations are about the most difficult um, roles you can take. It's herding cats. The politics are all over the shop. You've gone through all kinds of change. At a personal level, how how does it feel making that transition to CEO of a tricky job? Um, so if you forget all the the usual stuff about being a CEO, and, and I, you know, and and I reckon all of all CEOs are a bit crazy, and I notice that you that. Uh, that, that some of the things that, that we talked about that, that, you know, CEOs of care organisations picking up on some stuff that, that we talked about previously seem a little bit all over the shop. Um, 
so if you forget that just dealing with boards and doing the governance stuff and doing that stuff, that's a whole bit in itself. Um, I, th I think um, carers of um, organisations, especially like us, who's a boutique, I call ourselves a boutique organisation because we, we just support carers. That's just what we do. We're not like a massive organisation that does lots of other things. Uh, I think we're... I think because carers go across every, every, almost every single policy area within government and system that they run or that is in community, that we're all a bit slight personalities. Okay, so we need to know about mental health, aged care, disability, um, health, um, and, and we need to be over you know one of the challenges of trying to be over all of that policy and, and what's happening and and i think at a, a national level we're going to start um so thinking about our, our federated structure with you know leading up into being members of carers australia we're actually finally going to start to go let's narrow our focus and, and think of some areas where we really want to have impact um because um, otherwise, you can you, you literally drive yourself crazy. Um, so, sorry, but I just imagine I just had a real flash of you must be sitting on about thirty-five different committees, and when people talk about Zoom fatigue, you must feel like biting their heads off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it's it, um, you do so. It's a bit of a, a catch twenty-two. Like it's you know we've got a Care Recognition Act in SA. It was put out in two thousand five. Um, the Recognition Act was in, and it, and it it says government should include carers in all decision making. Um, but we've sort of made a bit of a rod for our back because, we, you know, when you ask for that, you get invited to bloody everything. And then, then you've got to try and work out what's valuable and what's not and who do you send. So, so whilst it's a really good thing, um, you know, that, that's the biggest challenge. And, and, and I think that comes down to service provision as well. So forget about my role, about how our team on the ground support carers. Um, no one carers the same. Like there's no customer or carer the same for us. So um, whilst you might care for someone with a disability, um, that person's that, you know, we line up 10 people and there's hardly anybody the same, even if they're caring for someone who's got the same disability, like it, the circumstances are so different. So it's very much a, you, you do become a bit of a split personality and, and become a generalist. And I think that's part of the challenge. But I bet you get to do tea and scones at the governor's residence, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do, which, which yeah. is which is which is nice. So we get invites to just about everything. So which, which is yeah. you know which is good. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah ex exactly. David, we knew it was going to be fun to catch up with you again, and it has been fun to catch up with you again. And um, yeah, great to chat. Yeah. So and and really important issues you've raised about um, carers, even though we're all struggling with the word. I, I just I will um, finish with um, somewhere where you started, which is God. It's a branding and segmentation and organisational mission vision issue when um, the word carer can't be put on an envelope that you're sending to the people that you work with. Yeah, look, it, yeah, it's it, it is it is uh, it's hard, but look, it, you know, every sector's got its challenges, hasn't it? And um, and we do, but okay. but I've loved but I've loved um, I've loved chatting to you. It's uh, always good. I'm listening to listen to your podcast and um, uh, you know regularly, so it's it's great great stuff you're doing, and, and good to see you still going strength to strength from from where we were when we first met all those years ago. Yeah. Great, all thanks, your fans David. too. So thank you, David. Thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cool. That was funny of you. It was nice to catch up with David. Yeah, he's such a good guy. Yeah, I, I always knew it was going to work. He's, he's, he's super authentic, super clued in. He's quite humble too, isn't he? 
I was a bit nervous about this conversation to tell you the truth because I was worried that um, a conversation that centers the needs of carers could very easily sideline people with disability or or put them in a certain light and I I thought he did a good job of there's a lot of hairy politics around it that's for sure well I thought he did a good job of representing the the complexities of that type of dynamic yeah good one and you've been listening to (laughs) disability done different candid conversations podcast by DSC that's produced by Maya Thomas if you like our podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, teamdsc.com.au. And that's all again. Bye. <laughs> Sorry, I always lose the end bit. <laughs>